invite you to turn in your Bible tonight to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. And we're going to read the entire psalm. It's a psalm of grief, as uh, David has experienced a devastating uh, heartbreak. And um, we'll be looking at that together uh, tonight. Psalm 55. Let's begin at verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion's hand stretched out his hand. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they are, were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God, now we uh, submit ourselves to your inspired word. We thank you that these words are given to us, uh, Lord, to feed our soul, and we pray that we would hear the voice of our Savior uh, speak to us comfort and encouragement this evening. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Psalm 55 uh, might not look like it, but uh, it's a story. Uh, It doesn't look like a normal story. It doesn't have... um, you know, historical context, you're not told about a place or a time. We had that in the previous psalm, um, and, and many of David's psalms have that, where we're told exactly what was the, the context, and we can follow the story uh, in that way. But, but this is a story, it's a story of a wounded heart. It's a story of a, uh, of a, of a soul in anguish. Uh, the, the, the contours of the psalm are formed by the twisting and turning of David's inner torment. He's in uh, great pain, 
And in these words, uh, they're the furrows that are plowed by his grief. Uh, Notice the words that David uses to express what he feels, verses 4 and 5. He uses words like anguish, terrors, fear, trembling, horror. Those are very graphic words, and they're, they're very similar words. David is, is multiplying synonyms in an attempt to describe something that evades description. How do you explain, how do you describe a chainsaw to your soul? And that's what David has experienced. And of course, we want to ask, what happened? Uh, why does David say that his heart is in anguish and the terrors of death have fallen on, on him? Fear and trembling has come upon me. Horrors overwhelm me. What's happened uh, is that David has been deeply betrayed. Uh, it's an experience then. Psalm 55 is an experience of grief. And, and, uh, and as we go through the psalm, we'll, we'll see first David as just an overwhelmed man. And then David as a heartbroken man. And David as a believing man. Uh, the first thing to note, David is an overwhelmed man. And you get that sense Uh, Verse 6, obviously, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away. Um, In verses 9 through 11, David tells us what's bothering him, at least on the surface. Uh, There's violence and strife in the city. Uh, I see violence and strife, he says. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud. David is concerned about these things because he's the king of Israel. He's the king of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he loves this city. This is God's city. And violence and strife and oppression and fraud ought not be taking place in God's city. If you care about the church, uh, you see things that grieve your heart. Those sorts of things ought not be in the church of Christ. Uh, and and the, the, the violence and the strife, it's a personal affront to him as the king. It's an indictment on his rule. It would, it would be bad enough if these things were taking place on the outskirts of Israel, somewhere on the, the border with the Philistines, where the law was uh, maybe not applied as, as thoroughly. But this is happening in the midst. Ruin is in the midst, in our midst. Uh, oppression and fraud are happening in the markets of Jerusalem. And um, you could say, and it would be true, well, that's life in the big city. Uh, Whenever you get a bunch of people together, you're going to find violence. You're going to find strife. You're going to find oppression. You're going to find fraud, even in the church, even in God's holy city. But you, you, you see that David is deeply gripped by this. He hates it, and he's lost all patience for it, and he wants God to make it stop. So in verse 9, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. Uh, David is thinking about the Tower of Babel that you read about in Genesis chapter 11 when the the people of the earth got together to build this this gigantic tower to uh, oppose God, to exalt the name of man, and God uh, brings the whole project to a screeching halt by um, confusing the languages. And people can't understand what they're saying, and, and, and so the project Uh, falls apart. David says, Lord, just do that. Confuse them. Uh, Do whatever it takes to make them stop. In verse 15, uh, it's a little more urgent. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. 
Uh, David surely here is thinking about uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 16. These are men who opposed the leadership of Moses. And they tried to rally the people um, to support them in opposition to Moses. And God judged them. If you remember, God said to, 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 that those men were to gather themselves with their families and all that they possessed. And then the, the ground, God opened the ground beneath them and they literally dropped into Sheol alive. That's what, that's what the text says. And David says, Lord, then do that. Now, th- that might seem a little strong, uh, but it's an expression, you see, the, the raw nerves of David's heart has made the normal wickedness of the city just overwhelming. It's too much. He can't deal with this anymore. Lord, just take care of it. But notice in the psalm, it's not the violence and the strife in the city that's the problem. In verse 12, he immediately says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. There's something else going on. Uh, The violence and the strife are not the things causing the fear and the trembling and the anguish and the horrors. This is the betrayal. Those, those, uh, the the violence and the strife and the oppression and and the fraud, those are normal aggravations that have become overwhelming because of the deeper heartache. And we know what this is like. When you are going through some, a true heart, ache, a true heartbreak, uh, when, 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 a, when a loved one, right, has, has passed away unexpectedly, you find that the normal aggravations of life become overwhelming, and, and, and in your grief, and maybe there's a particular grief because you never got to say goodbye, maybe there's a particular wound because it was a relationship you never got to heal, maybe even with a, with a parent, and you find that then the normal aggravations of life, a, a broken, a broken uh, a dish, a bad traffic, can just reduce you to tears. Uh, if, if you're in, in a difficult marriage, this, the strain and the, and the heartache of that makes normal parenting overwhelming. I just can't do it anymore. That's, that's the experience. But if someone would come and say, um, you're weeping over a broken dish. You, you're, your cupboard's full of other ones. Right? That's not the problem. That's not the problem. David, David is is in fear and trembling because there's a heartache here. It is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. There's a pain that's bearable, right? If enemies taunt you, well, that's what enemies do. There's a category for that. We know, we know where to place that emotionally. But, but there's also a, a pain that goes with adversaries who are insolent, right? So David says, it's not an adversary who deals insolent, insolently with me. Disrespect. Then I could hide from him. David says, I, got a, I have a coping mechanism for that. I just avoid the person. But what do you do when you've been betrayed by a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend? How do you hide from the heartache of a dear friend who has uh, turned and now has set out to destroy you. This is a prayer of a heartbroken man. A betrayal brings its own kind of trauma. There's actually uh, a thing called betrayal trauma. You can look it up. Betrayal trauma. 
Uh, I was just doing a little reading on this, and here's one lady's description of, of what this is like. We, she, she talks about um, her experience when she found out that her husband was cheating on her. She says, every betrayed partner is dealt two blows at once when they discover their spouse's um, sexual behavior. Blow number one is the gut punch of betrayal, a breathtaking breach in trust that changes your relationship in permanent ways. Blow number two is the shocking realization that your partner has been extravagantly and expertly lying and manipulating reality in order to cover up their behavior. When I experienced this, the person who I depended on and was deeply connected to went from being a source of support and companionship to being a source of pain, fear, and deep uncertainty. Well, that's exactly what David is experiencing. He's, he's disoriented. He's trying to make sense of what's happened. In verse 14, he's, he's just, how, how could this have happened? We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. This was a close friend. This was someone David shared his heart with. They, they talked about um, their plans, their dreams, their lives, their fears. And, and, and it involved the sharing together of what they believed to be true about God. They, they worshiped together. They walked together with God's people. And so they shared the most intimate things about their lives together with joy and with happiness. And then the betrayal came. And, and notice David keeps coming back to that in the psalm. He'll, he'll be talking about the violence and the strife and, 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 and what he asked God to do. But the, re, the, the, the thing he keeps coming back to is the betrayal. Verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. That's betrayal, and, and, and that's the trauma. Because a solemn covenant has been violated. The, the solemn covenant of friendship and faith, brotherhood, in, uh, in their walk together. And words, uh, the words of a friend, became weapons the betrayer took advantage of the trust and used smooth words to hide the sword. And it is utterly devastating. The lady I mentioned before writes this. She says, here's the thing about betrayal trauma. It makes you feel like you are losing your mind. It puts you on an emotional rack and pulls you in opposite directions until you are begging for mercy or you break and ricochet over to one of the extremes just to find some relief. Betrayal trauma is a real thing. It, 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 um, you, many of you know what that feels like in, in deeply painful ways. We've all experienced it to one degree or another. We've been lied to. We've been betrayed in some way. And uh, as this lady writes, um, if you feel like you're losing your mind when you're in great betrayal and you ricochet to one of the extremes, begging for mercy, trying to find relief. And that's exactly why David moans uh, and, and cries out in verse 6, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. And notice, uh, I would lodge in the wilderness Selah. We're not sure what that means. It, it seems like it's an exclamation. Uh, amen. That's what I would do. 
He's, he's begging for relief. He's, he's, he's desperate for shelter. Some way to escape the raging wind. Some way to escape the heartache and the heartbreak. And a lodge in the wilderness sounds like the ticket. Um, have you ever been tempted to run away? Uh, maybe you've been uh, shopping, you, you had a little break from the, from the kids, and you're at the grocery store, and you get back in the car, and you think, what if I just kept going? Have you ever been there? Come on, moms. <laughs> or you got out of work, and home was hard, and you thought, you know, let's just point this thing north and see where it goes. Just just drive. I was talking to someone this past week who said exactly that. You just, just maybe just drive right past the exit and, um, and hit the road. And you can imagine yourself in some maybe wilderness place. It's quiet. Um, just maybe nothing but you and a cup of coffee, maybe the dog. Just quiet. Peace. Doesn't that sound good? There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. <laughs> Of course it sounds good. Sounds like life. That's why people go on vacation. The problem with the vacation is you've got to come back home. And you see, David's not just looking for a vacation. He's looking for restoration. He's looking for salvation in some sense. His, his life has been ripped to shreds. His heart is, is, is utterly broken. And, and he recognizes, you see, that a lodge isn't going to fix it. David's king. He, if he wants a lodge in the wilderness, he just has to snap his fingers and order uh, a lodge in the wilderness. He can do that. But David recognizes the lodge isn't going to fix what's wrong. You see, the, the lodge, if he goes there, the, all the memories and the anguish of the wound will go with him there. The, the, the cure for this kind of grief and brokenness is, is not the absence of, of people and, and this person maybe, but it's the presence of a person. The, the only thing that actually shelters from the raging wind is the refuge that's found in God. And so that's where David goes. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. David is a believing man. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. There's that old hymn, there's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. That's what David is, that's where he turns. And notice he uses two different words for God. I call, I call to God, Elohim, maker of heaven and earth, the mighty God of heaven. I call to him. He's able to save. But then he says, and the Lord will save me. And the Lord, if you notice in your Bible, it's all capital letters. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. It's the name that God has given to his children for their personal private use in a sense. Boys and girls, uh, did you know that you have a private personal uh, privilege that's yours? You get to call your mom and dad uh, something that no one else can. See, other, other boys and girls have to look at your mom and dad and say, Mr. and Mrs. But you get to say, Mom, and you get to say, Dad, and those names, those titles include all the privileges, boys and girls, that comes with being their child. You get to hug them for no reason. Uh, you get to ask them for help with your math. You get to ask them for bedtime stories and for band-aids and college tuition. <laughs> I'm not saying they're going to give it to you, but you, you have the right to ask it. You have the right to ask because of that special relationship. That's mom and that's dad, and, and you are their child. 
Well, that's exactly how David speaks here. He says, I call on the Lord. I call to God, the Lord will save me. It's the, it's the name that God gives to those who belong to him in faith. And, and because he, see, he, can, he can speak of the Lord, he has absolute confidence. He hears my voice. He hears my voice. And David invites us then to do the same. Cast your burden on the Lord, on Yahweh, on your faithful covenant God, the one who's made promises to you and the one who's given you the privilege of this special name. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. There, there actually is a place for us to go, a shelter from the raging wind. In, in a world where people will wound you and will fail you, the Lord, the faithful God, never will. Now, there are two important words in that invitation, verse 22, the word burden and sustain. The word burden, it's, it's an interesting word. It, it does not simply mean the hard thing that weighs you down. If, if I would ask you, what's your burden today? You would tell me about uh, the illness that's just nagging and ongoing and doesn't let you go, or, or about the difficult uh, situation at work that just weighs on your heart. Uh, th- that's how we think of burdens. And, and it's true, those, those things are burdens. We all experience those things. But David doesn't use a word just for something that weighs you down. This word means what God has appointed to you. The hard thing that God has appointed to you. So so David isn't, he's not asking us just to cast our troubles on the Lord. He's asking us to to cast our God-ordained troubles on the Lord. The, The thing that God has assigned to us. Because you see, there's no trouble in your life that hasn't been assigned, that God hasn't appointed to you. There's a divine purpose and calling in every circumstance, in every detail. It's not an accident. Not if you're a child of God. It was appointed to you, and in that appointment, there's a sense of purpose. Okay, if God has appointed this to me, then I'm, I am free to take that appointed providence to him and ask for his sustaining help. The Heidelberg Catechism 27, it it asks, what what do we we mean by providence? And in short, it says, what we mean by providence is that all things come to us not by chance, but from our Father's hand. Everything comes to us from our Father's hand. And then the second question, the next question, 28, well, how does that help? What's the encouragement of that? And the encouragement is, well, that means that we can be patient when things go against us. And we can have confidence that God will sustain us. And that's the second important word. God will sustain us. It doesn't mean remove. I think if we read that text, it can easily be what you assume it means. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will remove it. That's what we would hope it would say. That's what we'd like to put on, on, the, on the fridge door. But, but it doesn't say that. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. It means that God will lovingly daily provide everything you need on this pilgrim journey to assure that you arrive safely home. Uh, We have an example of this in in Nehemiah chapter 921 where uh, Nehemiah praises God, 40 years you sustained them, the people of God, Israelites, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. 
God sustained his people as he, as he was leading them to the promised land. God will sustain you as he's leading you to the promised land. He may not remove the burden, his appointed lot, but he will sustain you, he will keep you, he will shelter you. So Psalm 121 is so beautiful. He will ever keep thy soul. What will harm? He will control. In the home, and by the way, he will keep you day by day. The promise is linked to the statement here, he will never let the righteous be moved. And that, that statement might cause us a little concerned. Um, he will never let the righteous be moved. That's the faithfulness of God. Well, what if you're not very righteous? What if the devil is talking to you about a lot of sin in your life? Unbelief, uh, sins of anger, pride, lust, whatever it might be. Um, does your sin mean that you're left alone in the raging wind? Or is there a shelter for you? Well, here's a thought for you as we think about and wrap up here, Psalm 55. What if you are the betrayer? What if you're the betrayer, not the betrayed? Uh, is there a shelter for you? And I ask that question because one of the amazing things about Psalm 55 is that David um, describes his own behavior here. I don't know if he, if he had that sense. I don't know when this was written. But do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Actually, in the Bible, it's not the story of David and Bathsheba. In the Bible, it's called the story of David and Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, uh, David's close personal friend, David's faithful comrade in arms, his faithful soldier. Uh, they used to take sweet counsel together. They walked together in, in the throng. They worshiped together. But then one of them violated the sacred covenant of friendship, the, the sacred covenant of brotherhood in the cause of God. David did. David violated the covenant. And David spoke smooth words to his good friend Uriah. He says, why don't you come home and take some rest and go enjoy some time with your wife? It's been hard. And when Uriah, out of a sense of honor, uh, to God and the sense of what he owed to his, his men out in the battlefield as an honorable man when, when Uriah declined, then David com completed, completed the betrayal by uh, having Uriah put on the front line and, and put to death. You see, David was not just a victim of betrayal. David was a betrayer. And the fact is, that's true for all of us. Our betrayals might look differently than David's, but we've all used words to manipulate those we love. We've all violated sacred covenants of friendship, sacred covenants of marriage. We've done so with gossip, slander, anger, lust. We've grievously sinned against the people we're supposed to love and protect. We've all done it. And so, you see, Psalm 55 reminds us that we are all victims of other people's sins, but we're not innocent victims. There's a lot of talk about victim, uh, victims today. And Scripture helps us to remember that, yes, uh, we can be the victim of a sin, but but we're, we're never innocent victims of sin. We, we are both the victim and the victimizer in one way or another. Every one of us. 
We're the sinnered, we're the ones sinned against, and we're the one who commits the sin. We've been betrayed and we have betrayed. And I'm not trying to do anything with moral equivalence. I'm just saying the fact of Scripture is that we're both. And so where, where will we find shelter? And that brings us, you see, to the gospel. Because there was only ever one innocent victim. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ. It strikes me that one of the reasons, maybe one of the primary reasons the Holy Spirit inspired this text was not just for David's benefit, but primarily for the Lord's benefit. Jesus read this psalm. Jesus experienced this psalm. His whole life was a, 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 a matter of betrayal. His own family members mocked him. Who do you think you are? His, um, his pastors the religious leaders of Israel scorned him and told him that he was demon-possessed. His own people rejected him. One of his 12 disciples, one of whom that he had close companionship with, betrayed him to his enemies with a kiss, knowing that their intent was to put Jesus to death. Another one of his disciples denied with cursing that he ever knew Jesus, Peter, and this to a little girl. All of the disciples fled in his hour of need. They all abandoned him. His whole life was an experience of betrayal, and all of this happened on his way to the cross where he would suffer and die to atone for their betrayals against him and against his Father in heaven. We've all betrayed the obligations that we have, the sacred covenant of our relationship to God. He created us. We owe him everything, and yet we sin against him willingly, freely, happily, continually. That's betrayal. In Luke 22, we're told of the anguish and terror and trembling and horror that Jesus experienced as he faced the judgment we deserve. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was casting his burden on the Lord. And the Lord did sustain him, I don't know if you remember, but in, in Luke twenty two forty three, we're told that there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. That's a, just a wonderful scene. God the Father sends an angel. Gabriel, I want, you, I want you to go. I want you to strengthen Jesus. You see, the Father didn't remove the cross, but he provided the necessary grace and strength in Jesus' greatest hour of need, so that Christ was able to endure the cross, scorning its shame, suffering all the guilt of your betrayals and mine, so that we could be robed in the righteousness of his faithfulness. And that's the beauty of the gospel. By faith in Jesus Christ, you see, then there's a shelter for both the betrayed and the betrayers. In other words, there's a place for us, a place for sinners. But sinners who are no longer defined either by their grief or by their guilt, but by his grace. In Christ, you see, we aren't defined by the wounds that we have suffered or the wounds we've caused, but by the wounds that Jesus bore for us that set us free. And so by faith in him and being united to him, we are protected and sheltered, and kept, and we are the righteous, 
saints of God. And so the promise is absolutely for us. God will never let us be moved. And so, friend, cast your burden on the Lord. Some of you have big burdens, health burdens. Tom Wolfe has surgery, significant surgery coming up this week. Some of you have conversations that are going to be hard. Um, I don't know what your burden is. Uh, but, but Psalm 55 says, whatever it is, whatever God's appointment for you this week, take it to him. I have a hard funeral to do this, Wednesday, this Saturday for David Haney, my dear friend. Um, I feel weakness in that. Uh, cast your burden on the Lord. Right? That's what I'm saying to myself. This is an appointed lot. God will strengthen. God will give grace. That's what he promises. That's what's ours in Jesus Christ. Let's believe it. Let's lay hold of it and experience the shelter and the peace and the strength that comes from it. Amen. Father in heaven, we are... Lord, we are people who need this word. We have been betrayed and we have betrayed. And we stand in awe of a God who loved us and gave his son for us. That, Lord, you took all of our betrayal against you and you laid it on Jesus. And he suffered all the betrayal of men, though he was God, and bore it to the cross. So that we are not victims, but more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And we are not guilty, but righteous saints in Jesus Christ. Lord, I just thank you for how the gospel actually heals us and identifies us in truth. Not according to our experiences, but to the experiences of Jesus Christ in our behalf. And I pray, Lord, then that would be a rock for us. And we think less about, Lord, our weakness and more about his strength. Less about our need, more about his promises. And, Lord, that in doing so, as we cast our life and our burdens on you, Lord, we will find you faithful for you always are, that you are our God, a mighty God, able to save. You are a Lord, a faithful Lord, who will never abandon us, but will keep us all the way to the end. And we give you all the praise for that and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the word tonight, standing together. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord, our God, Yahweh Elohim? Mighty to save. Let's stand.
And God's people.